The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. The word of God speaks to us. That Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is God's word to us. It's been a full morning already uh, with baby dedications and uh, getting, to, getting to have our friend Sujith here. Um, man, it's such an amazing time to be together and sing this morning. If you're new or visiting, my name is Chad Kinster. I serve as one of our pastors, teaching pastor here downtown, and uh, I get to open God's word today. But I want to say just first before we do that, um, if you are a part of the family or extended family of one who was uh, dedicated today, we're so glad that you're with us. And, and also, Sujith, uh, we're sad to not have Cheryl here with us, but man, it's really good to see you. And um, you sort of gave us a reminder already with those pictures that you know how to wear Easter shirts better than anybody. <laughs> that floral was on fire, man. <laughs> Amazing. Well, today we're continuing in a series we started last week uh, on, called, we're calling Rhythms of Grace. And what we're trying to do in this series, over the course of the summer, nine weeks this summer, is just look at practices and habits that Christians um, have been practicing since the resurrection, uh, since the beginning of the church, the things that Christians have done over the course of discipleship to lean into the presence of God, to grow as disciples of Jesus, to flourish as his followers in the world. These are sort of um, common denominator practices that if we were to transplant ourselves into any part of the world and share fellowship with other Christians, they would be doing these same things. And that's what we're trying to do through this summer series. And so today, uh, sort of let the cat out of the bag, we're going to talk about the discipline or the practice of Scripture uh, is where we're going to go. So if you would pray for me, I'll pray for you, and uh, we'll, we'll start our time together. I want to pray this morning from Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth. The voice of the Lord is enthroned, and he is king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. Father, would your voice that the scriptures tell us of break through even to this room today? We want to agree with this passage that the voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord is majestic. And we tremble a bit this morning as we open your word, knowing that your voice comes through the Holy Scriptures. And so would you shape us and bring renewal today, even by your word. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll never forget a moment several years ago when I was uh, in a different city, a different church. 
sitting over a nice cup of coffee one morning doing a weekly check-in with one of my interns at the time. And he said to me, after I was sharing a bit of my own weekly check-in with him, I think the reason that you're not reading the Bible is because you don't believe God's word has anything to say to you. This was my intern saying this to me. And so I said, you can pack your desk. (laughs) No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I didn't say that. Um, Hey, the reason he said that to me is because we were doing this weekly check-in and it was a part of like not only workflow and productivity, but it was also a little bit about discipleship. And I was sort of as his supervisor, as it were, like doing my own check-in. Hey, I'm gonna go first. I'm not just gonna ask you to do something I'm not gonna do myself. So I was going first. And my wife and I at the time had just moved to a new city across the country. We had just had our second child. She was all of six weeks old, had a new job, and uh, and had this intern sort of given to me on day one of the job. So after four weeks of meeting together and four weeks of check-ins with all that transition, all that new stuff, and lots of sleepless nights, I had come to the fourth time of our weekly check-in saying, I haven't, I haven't read my Bible this week. And after the fourth time of saying that, he says to me the line I just gave to you. I think, you know what, you've been saying this, and I don't think you not read, you're not reading your Bible, not, not anything to do with having a new baby. It has nothing to do with moving across the city into a new place and getting settled in a new house and starting a new job and meeting all kinds of new friends, has nothing to do with all of that. I think that you're not reading your Bible because you don't believe God has anything to say to you. Somehow his word isn't relevant to you. And I remember sitting there that day going, I want to have such a snarky reply to this young guy, but he's right. He's right. And then he follows that up. I mean, like this tells you a lot about this guy. He's an intern, you know. He's an amazing guy, and he follows that up with this. He goes, have you ever said that to God? And I said, said what? Have you ever said to God, I don't think your word has anything to say to me? And I said to him, can you say that to God? All of a sudden, he's pastoring me in this moment. Can you say that? He said, I think you need to say that to God. I've thought about that conversation a lot over the years. It's a conversation that has sobered me many times since I've had that cup of coffee with that guy. And and here's why. Because part of what was happening in that conversation wasn't just me learning what was going on inside of my own chest. It was me learning about what's happening in my own heart. That part of that conversation that's helped me is learning what's going on in the heart of Scripture. And so again today, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to unfold the place of Scripture, the place of the Bible, the, the, the practice of reading Scripture for our formation as followers of Jesus. And, and i got to be honest with you, even in the intro of this sermon today, my thoughts and emotions have been up and down as I tried to prepare this sermon. And here's why. Because I know that what I'm going to talk to you about caused me to feel nervous and intimidated Because I'm trying to preach a sermon on reading scripture, something that Christians have probably heard about more than anything else. You should read your Bible. And at the same time, it's something that we as Christians neglect maybe as much as anything else. 
You've heard maybe more about it than anything, and it's something that we neglect maybe more than anything. I'm nervous and intimidated today. It caused me to feel cautious and careful in my preparation this week. Because I know that many of you might associate your lack of engagement with Scripture with a sense of shame and unworthiness or just not feeling good enough for Jesus. Like for some of you, talking about reading your Bible is one more place where you feel like you don't stack up. Like you haven't kept up with what you feel like is expected of you or commanded of you. And so you want to avoid this conversation. For others of you, you want to resist this conversation altogether because you connect it back to a really strict religious background that you've sought to leave behind in favor of some sort of way of maintaining your faith but with something less rigid and less formal. You've known people in your background that read the Bible a whole lot but they were really hypocritical and so you thought, I'm just gonna reject that altogether. And so maybe for others of you, you wanna neglect the scriptures because it's sort of this place where you know that if I avoid the Bible, then I also might avoid having a conversation with God about an area of my life that I'm afraid he'll want to address, but that I don't want to address. So I'll shelf the scriptures, right? And maybe yet for another group of you, there is this place where you just want to avoid a conversation about reading the Bible or avoid reading the Bible altogether because you want to avoid feeling confused and unable to understand and just not smart enough to follow Jesus, which I totally understand. All of these reasons and more, I feel not only intimidated and nervous, I, I feel a bit cautious and careful because I'm not trying to, and I don't think God's word wants to contribute to any of that shame narrative, right? And so today my desire is to try to bring us back to the heart of what's happening in this book. I want to try to bring us back to the heart of what's happening in this book. I want to help us to see again that it's absolutely critical. Follow my words. It's absolutely critical for your formation as a, as a Christian that you give your life to the Scriptures. Absolutely critical. You, you can't find a way around it. And I want to try best I can by the help of the Holy Spirit to show you that contained in this book, contained in this book, church, is the very character of the living God. Contained in this book are accounts of his great works to reach you. You realize that you're here today because you've probably heard something of the living God and you heard of it because it's contained in this book. Contained in this book are stories of his faithfulness against the backdrop of the drama of not only your life but all of history and he's still faithful. This book is important. And I want to start all of this sort of journey today by looking back, looking back at the way that Scripture has formed Jesus. And so the passage that was read just moments ago in Matthew chapter 4, I want to give some context to it. This is the moment in the life of Jesus where he's about to start his earthly ministry. He's just been baptized and received the public affirmation of God the Father. You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. He has that confirmed by the anointing of the Holy Spirit descending on him in the form of a dove. And the way the narrative reads, it's as though his hair was still wet from baptism. And he's led by the Spirit. He's driven by the Spirit off into the wilderness for a time of preparation and fasting and prayer. 
Maybe you know this narrative. He was there in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. He was there learning to pray, learning to trust, learning to practice the presence of God his Father who had just announced, you are my beloved son and with you I'm well pleased. And this passage also tells us that while he was out there in the wilderness fasting, it wasn't just a place of paradise and communion with God, it's also the place where his temptations began. The devil came to him multiple times to question not only God's authority, but also to question his identity as God's true son. Pick up with me again in verse 16 of chapter 3. We'll get a running start here. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending, on, descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Pause there. Notice this important detail in verse 2. We're talking about the way that Scripture has formed Jesus. He's driven off into the wilderness. Verse 2 tells us, after fasting, he was hungry. Obvious statement, right? Like, yeah, you're pretty hungry after 40 days in a desert place, right? So it's an obvious statement, but it's one that's really important for us because this is the biblical writers helping us to see that Jesus was human just like us. He knew hunger pains. Like his stomach growled, and I'm sure after 40 days it was sounding pretty weird. This is also an insight into a later passage of Scripture that tells us that Jesus was actually tempted in every way just like we are. He knows what it is to be weak. He knows what it is to be vulnerable. He knows what it is to be dependent. And it's also going to say in that later passage that he's able to understand us because of what he's gone through in our weaknesses, in our vulnerabilities. Now pick up with me with that context in verse 3. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, if, He's just been announced by God the Father that he is, and now the tempter's coming to him and saying, if that's actually true, then why don't you prove it? Why don't you command these stones to become loaves of bread? But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's what happens. Jesus responds to this temptation by citing and rehearsing a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8, that speaks of God's faithfulness to Israel when they were experiencing wilderness temptations. So Jesus draws the sword of this deep cut from Scripture because everyone's read Deuteronomy 8. In fact, the passage Jesus cites here is probably underlined in your Bibles. Probably not, right? Like, oh yeah, I know that Deuteronomy 8 passage. He just pulled that out. He didn't. Jesus, in this moment of vulnerability, weakness, temptation, impulses shooting off everywhere like fireworks, pulls this deep cut from Deuteronomy chapter 8, where the people of God before him had experienced similar wilderness temptations, and this was the word of God to them. Just consider the wonder of that for a moment. In the middle of the desert, he's hungry, he's alone, he's tired, 
He's being tempted. The devil is toe-to-toe with, the God, with God the Son, and he rehearses this passage from this obscure, what we might think as New Testament Christians, this obscure place in Deuteronomy chapter 8 to be his comfort. Amazing. Now, in my background growing up, uh, I heard this passage taught, and this, uh, this passage about Jesus in the wilderness, quoting this scripture back, I heard this passage taught with sort of a message like this. You see what happened? When Jesus was tempted, he had scripture that he memorized. And so Jesus memorized scripture, and so you should memorize scripture. That's how you fight temptation. That's how I heard this passage taught. Jesus went to God's word when he was being tempted, and so you should go to God's word when you're being tempted. And that teaching was sort of this transactional view of God's word, right? Sort of a monkey see, monkey do. You see Jesus, now you do like Jesus. And I always felt like the subtext of that kind of teaching of this passage was saying, all you need to do to make your problems go away, all you need to do to make the wildness in your chest and the wildness flying through your mind to sort of be tranquilized, all you need to do is just have a little more Bible in your life. It was just sort of this magic, you know, combination to unlock the code. Just a few more verses memorized, just read your Bible more, and your temptations will go away just like they did for Jesus. You see what happened there. The tempter came to him, and he said. Now, the heart of that kind of teaching, I understand, right? The, the heart of that teaching is to say the scriptures are important for you, Christian. The scriptures are vital for you to be able to discern what's happening in your life and what's happening in your temptations. But the problem with it well beyond, I mean, the, the problem with it, well beyond the fact that your life experience and mine proves that it's just not that easy. <laughs> when temptation comes, ooh, I have a scripture verse, tranquilized. It's just beyond that, beyond the fact that we know it's just not that easy, the bigger problem with that kind of teaching is that it bypasses the real anguish that Jesus was experiencing in that moment. It bypasses the heart of communion with God the Father that had deeply formed Jesus over time, and it bypasses the fact that there's a real invitation to now you and I as his followers to be formed after a similar pattern in Jesus. It's not as easy as just sort of taking out a Bible verse like a quarter and putting it in the machine. And so here's what I mean. When Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, his hunger pains didn't go away. Just sit with that for a second. If you're really the son of God, turn these stones to bread. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by everywhere from the mouth of God. And it's almost like that teaching would assume that Jesus was just sort of magically nourished with bread from heaven. The scripture tells us he was hungry. He just quoted a Bible verse, tempted to now get his own back when he's threatened in his identity and the authority of God. The temptation didn't just go away because he quoted a Bible verse. He was still hungry. It's not as though scripture was there as this magic wand that could be waved in front of his temptation to make it disappear. That's not the point of what's happening in Matthew chapter four. The point is, the scriptures for Jesus 
had been the primary testimony to him to this point in his life of the faithfulness of God. The scriptures had testified to him long before the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, God is faithful. The scriptures had testified to him of the promises of God, you will not be abandoned, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The scriptures had testified to him of the character of his father. They testified to the instruction of God, the tenderness of the father to meet his people in every trial and every temptation. So that in the moment of testing, the word of God coming to Jesus could lead him to a decision, even though my hunger pains won't go away when I quote this Bible verse, Jesus is saying, I would rather be fathered by God. I would rather be fathered by God than feed my own appetites and get my own back. You see how it's different. Temptation comes. Stuff is shooting off like fireworks, impulses in a thousand different directions. He's tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He quotes the text, not as a wand, but as a decision to say, I would rather be fed by God, or sorry, I'd rather be fathered by God than get my own back and feed my own appetites and be driven along to whatever they would suggest. You see, for Jesus, the word of God served as a compass. It served sort of as the north star toward communion with God so that in that moment he could bring his fears. Surely he was afraid. He's facing the devil. He'd bring his fears, confusion, his weakness from fasting for 40 days, and in, in the midst of all that, be formed in the midst of his temptations. Not my temptations go away and then I'm formed. I'm formed in the midst of my temptations. Again, with his impulses going all kinds of directions, I want to be fathered by God than feed my own appetites. And so the point of Scripture, hear this, the point of Scripture is that it's God's authoritative word to anchor you. It's God's authoritative word to anchor you to instruct you, to tether you to the character and the truth of God that would form you toward his fatherhood instead of being led along by your appetites. That's the point of Scripture. It's an anchor. It's a tether to his character, to his truth that would cause you to have a decision of fatherhood over feeding my own appetites. And so as a young Christian... I was 18 years old, and I remember hearing that the way you're going to do battle, the way you're going to do battle with your temptations, the way you're going to do battle with things like lust and pride and anger and any other kind of sin is just to memorize Scripture. Again, the pattern of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4. And then what would happen is I would have these thoughts, like you have thoughts. I would have these desires that came along, and I would... Okay, I've been told to memorize verses, so I'd have this little verse in my back pocket, you know, sort of as it were. Whip it out, you know, how can a young man keep his way pure by hiding the word of God in his heart? Psalm 119, 9 and 10, I do not lust anymore. Why is lust still there? Right? You've heard it said, you shall not murder. I say anyone who hates his brother in his heart has committed murder. And I'm like, I still am angry at that person. I quoted the verse, what's happening? The desire didn't disappear. The anger and the lust didn't tranquilize like I was told it might. 
And I would get discouraged thinking that I was doing something wrong. I would get discouraged like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I this way? I'm trying to use the word of God like I've been told to use the word of God. Either I'm too busted and God doesn't work for someone like me, which was a real trail that I ran down for a long time, or something's wrong with the Bible and God's not coming through on his end of the deal. I quoted your word, now you help. Why am I still this way? Why am I still this way? I'll never forget an older Christian coming along and helping me to see that the point of Scripture, the point of God's word for my formation and for your formation is less like a wand that we wave over the stuff that we want to go away like some sort of weird mantra. It's less like a wand and it's more like a window into the heart of the Father. Scripture is not a wand. Scripture is a window. It's a window into the heart of the Father. Here's what I mean. Where else are you going to learn the holiness and instruction of God? Where else? Where else are you going to learn, where else am I going to learn about God's kindness and patience for sinners? Where else? Where else am I going to see that God has been faithful to every single one of his promises and he does not leave us holding the bag standing on the curb? Where else will I learn that? Real-time stories to tell me of his goodness. Where else am I going to see for myself God's great love that while I was still a, a sinner, Christ died for me and took judgment that was rightly mine? Where else do I learn that? Where else do I see these things? You see, you and I do not drift. You and I don't sort of like by osmosis just sort of drift to God. We don't do it. We need a guide. We need something to tell us where to go and how to get there. And so without the Bible, without the Bible, you and I will not have a right view of ourselves, and you and I will not have a right view of God. It's lose-lose. Without the Bible, listen, at best, at best, without Scripture, our thoughts of God and self are a wish dream. We hope it's the case. I hope he's loving. The God I believe in is loving. It's a wish dream. At best, and at worst, we're just guessing. It's lose-lose. It's so this is the place of God's word to form us. So the idea isn't, if, I, if you just had more scripture, because many of you are like, I grew up in Baptist church and I did Bible drill. I could turn there faster than anybody else, right? The point is not, if I just had more of the Bible, then there would be this great disappearing act of all that is ill in my life. You know that's not true. Instead, here's what's going on. It's that the scriptures is God making the first move. God is making the first move. Before you speak to God, you have to know that he's speaking to you. You wouldn't even know to speak to God unless you know that there is one who speaks. In scripture, God is speaking first. He's making the first move. This is his word to us. Our place, our place is to simply give ourselves to his voice. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is over chaos. It makes the cedars to break and the deer to give birth. The voice of the Lord. 
No other place in the pages of the Bible will you find it so plainly stated. And I've got to say this in the midst of a Bible Belt religious sort of moral therapeutic view of all this stuff. Nowhere else in the pages of Scripture will you find it so plainly stated that the Christian life is not about trying harder and doing better. That is not Christianity. But instead, it's about submitting yourself to be fathered. The Christian life is saying, I need a heavenly father. I need someone who could intervene for me. It's submitting yourself to be fathered by the living God. It's not stuffing down the wild stuff in your chest or the chaos in your life and pretending like it's not there and putting on your pastels and smiling and come to church. That is not Christianity. Christianity is offering all of the wildness and all of the chaos to him because we can't hide it anyway, trusting that the finished work of Jesus counts for you and that the same God that sustained Jesus the Son in the midst of desert temptations will also sustain and be faithful to you. The point of Jesus coming is to make his father your father. That's the point. The same God that sustained him in his hunger pains will too sustain you, and he's worth it. He's worth it. And just like the word of God formed Jesus in the face of the wild, it will form you in the face of your wild. And so to say it clearly and plainly, maybe as I wrap this point up, the regular habit, the regular habit of opening your Bible and giving yourself to God's voice is absolutely crucial for health and ongoing growth in the Christian life. It's crucial, maybe to say it more plainly, you absolutely will not grow as a Christian. You will not grow apart from being formed by God's word. Like if you're hoping to like, I believe in Jesus and I wanna take off and sort of be formed and have these places of addiction and sin and besetting habits dropped, that's not gonna happen by just sort of believing and then coasting. It's believing and then submitting to another voice, right? You will not grow as a Christian apart from being formed. You realize the other practices of the Christian life. So people who are sort of experts on the practices talk about upstream practices and downstream practices. The upstream ones are the ones that are more difficult for you. Downstream are the ones that for different people maybe are more easy, you know, more, they're more natural to you. But you realize we don't have, some of you are like, I'm a prayer person. I'm a worship person. Like I'm just a, I'm a person who wants to do, you realize you don't have any other practices of the Christian life if we don't have the Bible. We don't even know about the other practices of the Christian life without the scriptures, that they even exist. The scriptures are the things that guide the rest of the Christian life. Everything we know about prayer, everything we know about fasting or community or worship or generosity, it comes from this book. And so as I close today, I want to try to get very practical about where to go from here. And the first thing I want to suggest is this. When you read your Bible, read for presence. If you're taking notes, just sort of put that down. Read for presence. What do I mean by that? Very practical. Some of you would say, I don't like reading my Bible because I don't understand it all. Or I don't, I'm hesitant to read the scriptures because I, I rarely remember what I read. 
let me just sort of let you off the hook. Don't worry about whether or not you understand it. And don't worry about whether or not you remember what you read. Don't worry about it. Listen, right now in my Bible reading plan, I'm in the book of Ezekiel. I understand like 2% of what I'm reading. And the 2% is like the conjunctions, and and the, like, like I don't, the, the point is not that I understand the book of Ezekiel. There might be a place to study that in my life, but right, not right now. The point is that I understand or remember all that I read. The point is that I'm there. The point is that you're there. Not that you remember, like, the point of scripture, I don't remember what I read. You also don't remember what you had for lunch last Thursday. But it was enough to get you to today. It was enough to get you to today. And here's what I know. If you read your Bible, not for like leveling up or having some sort of like, you know, revelation as though like, yeah, I was reading my Bible this morning and Jesus came into my living room and made a pot of coffee and sat down and talked with me. That has never happened. Like, if you're waiting for that moment, like, you're, you're missing the boat. But if you read to be present, you'll actually find that you will understand more than you think you do. And you will find that you, over time, you'll remember more than you imagined you would remember. The point of reading scripture is that you're tuning yourself to the voice of the Father. You're tuning yourself. You're training yourself to the voice of the Father. I compare it to my kids over, over, overhearing conversations between my wife and I and our friends. They don't understand all of what we're talking about. I just got in a car accident. I've been working with the insurance. They don't understand insurance, but we're having conversations about it in my house and settlements and how we're going to get a new car and all the... They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it. They probably don't even remember that we're talking about it until we talk about it again. But I'll tell you what is happening they're hearing their father's voice. They're hearing their mother's voice. So that in a moment of chaos, they may not have understood everything and they may not have comprehended or remembered everything, but they can pick it out of the crowd. That's the same thing that's happening with Jesus in the wilderness. The tempter comes to him. If you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. First of all, that's not the voice of my father. I don't have to capitulate to your nonsense. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. I'm still hungry, but I would rather be fathered by him than feed my own appetites and prove something to you. The second thing, read for presence. The second thing is read on purpose. Read on purpose. It's best to read the Bible with a plan. I don't recommend that you just sort of randomly open up to a passage and go, I hope this works. You're sort of just dropping in. You wouldn't read a novel like that. The Bible's not a novel, but you see it's, it's got context. It's building. So there's a lot of good recommendations available on Bible reading plans. I encourage you to talk with your community group about that or your leaders. Talk to any of our pastors or deacons. I could, like, nerd out on that for a second. I don't know if that would be the most helpful thing to do this morning. But a Bible reading plan. Talk to someone who you might know would have one. Again, talk to us. We'll load you up. But if you don't know where to begin, bottom line, I'll say this. If you don't know where to begin, here's, like, 101, if you want to try this tomorrow. Start with a psalm, Psalm 1, it's fine. Psalm 1, and then pick a New Testament book. I don't know, Philippians. Doesn't, you don't have to get crazy with it. So tomorrow you'd read Psalm 1, 
read it. Identify what might stand out to you. Maybe you offer a prayer to God. And then read Philippians 1. Pray, call today. The next day. Psalm 2, Philippians 2. Just sort of systematically working through some things like that. Don't feel like you have to go zero to 60 with this. It would be an amazing thing. Let me let you off the hook. It would be an amazing thing. It would be a prophetic thing for your life if you're like, you know what, three days a week. Three days a week, I'm gonna read the Bible. This doesn't have to be an hour sit down or even a 30 minute sit down. You can crush this in 15 minutes. Now, I think over time, an appetite will build and you'll want to carve out more time. But the excuse is not that you don't have time. Like me, as a newborn, as a, as a father of a newborn with a new job and a fiery intern, it might be that you're not reading the Bible because you don't believe it has anything to say to you. Right? Tune yourself to the Father's voice. The thing I would say of reading on purpose is reading community. It's great to read with friends. It's great to actually read aloud with them or just know that they're reading with you and you're gonna show up at some point in a couple of weeks and talk about what you've been reading. There's some of you I can hear it loud saying, yeah, but I don't like to read. Like, I, I, I don't read. No, you do read. You do. Read all kinds of things all the time. But if you just insist, I don't like to read, there are all kinds of audio apps that will read the Bible to you. It's crazy, man. Like, you'll just go for a walk, and it's like, Genesis 1. <laughs> In the beginning, God, yeah, it's like amazing. Tune yourself. A commute, a walk, a run, planting flowers in the garden, however you might want to do it. There's a couple of resources. I don't know if they're going to be up on the screen, but I want to give you two resources, um, and then we'll pray and be done today. If you're thinking, okay, I want to have a big picture of what's going on in Scripture, two books I would recommend to you. According to Plan, it's a book by Graham Goldsworthy, According to Plan. It gives an overview of kind of how scripture fits together and like if you're in a Bible reading plan and it um, is having you in First Kings and you're like, I am tired of reading about Israel's failed kings. This book would be a companion to kind of, hey, hey, what's happening in First Kings? Why, why does that matter? The second book is God's Big Picture by Vaughn Roberts. And again, it does something similar but a bit different and just sort of giving an overview of the message of the Bible at large, not just sort of 66 greatest hits that are disconnected right, working together. I want to end today with a prayer, and it's a prayer that's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it. It's a prayer that Christians have prayed for hundreds of years. It comes from the Book of Common Prayer, written in the 1500s. Christians from all over the world have prayed this very prayer, again, for hundreds of years. Read it on the screen with me as we close today. Read it prayerfully as I read it aloud. Blessed Lord, you have caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. So grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read them, mark them, learn them, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we all said, amen.